submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her as to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, people have never hated their own bodies, but they feed and care for them, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the Church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The Word of the Lord. Let us pray. God of grace, as we come into this space, we've tried to be a community that is safe for people to explore faith, safe to be broken people, because we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. But your gracious message tells us that we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined through what Jesus has done on the cross. And so as we come in a, a jumble and a mix of all different backgrounds and perspectives, we look now in this time for gracious words to move into our lives and to bring transformation and for grace to flow out of our lives into your world. Please speak to us in this time, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. We said in the throughout social media this week and on the contact card last week we said uh, what is the marriage secret or what is the secret to a healthy marriage and so we got some responses someone saying believing trusting remembering that our marriage is his idea that this is the one God gave me to love and loving is a verb and then that person tagged on also a sense of humor <laughs> I like that um, the secret is there is no secret, says someone else. It's a lot of hard work. But just like a day's worth of hard physical work is good for the body, so it is with marriage. It's all worth it. Someone else wrote with one word, humility. And then someone else gave a few different answers, and I like one of them in particular. So, so like a healthy marriage is staying up until 4 a.m., knowing that you'll be completely trashed the next day just to make sure you don't go to sleep angry with each other. I like that. I like that. Um, I'm going to cut right to the point as we, as we try to answer this question of, of marriage, and we try to do it from all different perspectives. You know, to be married someday, uh, maybe not wanting to be married someday, or married and it's going well, or married and it's not going that well, or marriage is behind you trying to process it and figure it out um, and do sort of a post mortem on it. Here's what we learn from this passage. 
we we got to look at it from three perspectives. At least that's what we're going to do this morning. That we got to look at the radical community of marriage. We got to look at the countercultural pattern of marriage. And then third, we have to look at the mysterious power of marriage. Radical community, countercultural pattern, mysterious power. Radical community, let's start with that. As we look at this passage, I can't just start at verse 21 where we started on the screen. Because the more I read the, the letter to the Ephesian church, the, and the more I look at what's going on in this text that's talking to wives and husbands, um, I'm drawn to how there's this big setup right before this, starting at um, chapter 4, verse 17. You're brought into this, um, this, this Christian community pep talk. It's like a rousing invitation to radical community life. That's where this fits in the sort of a flow of an argument or a flow of a letter, so to speak. This rousing call, rousing inter- inter- invitation to something that's very radical and that Christians are a part of. And marriage find it, finds itself in that rousing, radical call um, that includes some, some things that I want to point out. In the language of, of Ephesians chapter 4, there's language of put, putting off and putting on. It's kind of a clothing language that actually exists in a few other places where the same author is writing to people in the early church. There's a former way of life and there's a new way of life and there's a constant call, as this passage says, in verse, uh, if you go to, actually we didn't read it, but if you go to 4 verse 20 and 21, it says, in trying to talk through this, okay, you got the former way and you got the new way and you put off the old and you put on the new, it says, about the old, it says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. So, um, in this radical community, there are people who have, have learned about Jesus Christ in such a way that their whole identity has been shifted so that they're always being called to the new way instead of the former way. The new way is to act like a child of God. So your identity is that you are a beloved child of God and that, that message and that truth about you pulses through your veins if you're completely understanding the Christian faith. It's, it's in every thought you have and every action you do. You are, you are, it's settled. You're a child of God. You're fully loved. And that can, that can be at the center of your thinking in your life. That's the new way. And we come into this life, and Christians then and Christians today, we come into this room and we're a mixture of all kinds of actions that are all about forgetting who you are, <laughs> forgetting that you're a child of God. Or, or maybe you come in and you're, you've never really tried to, to take on that truth of being a child of God. But in many ways, we're a, we're a room full of people whose actions are not in line with living like children of God. And so we've got all sorts of issues. We've got anger, we've got greed, we've got money stuff, we've got... Um, issues at our marriage. We've got, um, well, there's a whole list of things that go on in this passage, in this rousing community talk. All these little things like not forgiving people and having bitterness and slander and a lot of speech stuff. That's the prominent thing. A lot of things of talking that are not, you you know, it's like saying, you're not talking the way someone who knows they're a child of God would talk. So this is sort of the rousing thing of in so many aspects of your life, Christians are moving from 
Like if you're over here, you're just beginning to become a Christian or beginning to say, hey, going to church is okay. You're dipping your toes into a pathway and a current and a process. And if you get on it and go all the way to the end over here, there's this place of fully seeking for your whole life to be utterly dependent on God. And you're looking, for, you're, you're looking around at your life, if, you, if you're moving in that direction, you're starting to go, the more I have God's identity in my life, the more I have God in my life, the more whole I am, the more settled I am, the less anger has a foothold, the less bitterness and greed and, and negative speech and gossip. I want to be fully dependent on God. I want to get all the former ways out as much as I can. That becomes really radical. Because you start to realize as this passage in chapter 4, this will kind of be my closing thought on it, in chapter 4, it gets into there's inner corrosion and there's the kind of world around you and they're both working in the former way. Okay, so a Christian is on this path towards eventually, if you're fully getting it, which we're all in process, but eventually you're trying to get more and more of those former things out and fully be dependent on God. Now, that has huge implications on marriage. On the one hand, it helps explain why the Bible is so schizophrenic about marriage. In one place, like we read today, it's all about this beauty of, of a, you know, a man leaves his parents and, and the two shall become one, and it's beautiful and it's submission and sacrifice. There's another place where the same author basically says, ah, marriage, take it or leave it if you're a Christian. I, you know, really, like, it, it basically he says, if you can, avoid it. And what's he saying there? So on the one hand, yeah, it's this beautiful chance for, and we'll get into this, this, this sacrifice submission thing. But also, you know, there's this chance, hey, you're more freed up. You have less attachments, so to speak, for this journey towards utter dependence on God and that big com- radical community we're in. So that's how you can kind of explain both of those things. It also explains why you don't, if you're a Christian and you're in this path, you don't need a Bible verse to tell you that it's not a good idea if you're a Christian to date or to marry someone who's not a Christian. It's not a legalistic thing. It's a thing where you say, um, it would be unfair of me if I know that this is the path I'm on towards utter dependence of God and removing as much as I can of the former way and putting on the new. It would be super unfair to get linked up with someone. It would be unfair to them to not tell them, I'm on this path that's going to have exponential multiplication of conflict points between us because I'm going to be wanting to empty more of myself towards God and you're going to feel like that's my alternate spouse you're going to you know it's kind of if you want to simplify it it's honey can I go to the prayer meeting again oh no don't just stay here with me you know if you want to simplify it in one little interaction it would be something like that but over and over in so many different ways you get what I'm saying about Okay, so I'm not being legalistic about don't date or marry someone who's not a Christian. It's just, that's, so that helps this, this whole build up, this preface to where this marriage teaching comes in. The radical community. But there's also the countercultural pattern that we see. And we see it in these words, submit and sacrifice. The word sacrifice isn't used, but it's actually, that's what's being described for the husband. Um, so submit and sacrifice are two key words in a marriage that is inspired by the Christian faith. That's a, there's a pattern there. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's speaking to very real issues that are going on in marriages. We don't know exactly what they all are, but there's definitely a former way. And he's trying to get in and say, here's the new way. The new way is submit 
and sacrifice mutually to each other. So what is the former way? Well, we've got to basically ask that question of ourselves. If you become a Christian today, what kind of view of marriage are you most likely to be sort of shedding as you put on this idea of submission and sacrifice? And I would say that there's, instead of submission and sacrifice, our culture says passion and pursuits. Constant passion and unhindered pursuits. That's what our culture says should be involved in a good marriage. Um, Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, which is a great book if you want to go the reading route on more of this stuff, he says our culture glorifies romantic passion. And so we say, if this, person for, if, if this was a person for me to marry, my feelings wouldn't be so up and down. So we glorify romantic passion as a must. It has to be there. It's a, it's a litmus, litmus test on a good, lasting relationship. And if it's not there, I'm out, basically, is what you'll find a lot of people say. So first of all, our culture is telling you, you know, the formal, former way, if you're a Christian, is there has to be passion. There has to be constant, you know, steamy romance in my marriage or in my relationship in order for it to be a good marriage. The other thing um, is that I get unhindered uh, pursuit of the same things I was chasing before I get married. There is a vibe with, um, you know, marry, get married, not marry, what's good about marriage? There's a vibe of saying, you know, this has to really help me in the pursuits I'm already chasing after. And this person has to complement that and not really confront that. And I don't want to feel limited by how I get married in these pursuits that I'm taking on. Um, and so we kind of imagine what this, this, this good person for us is going to look like. And uh, in this article, New York Times article by Tara Parker Pope, entitled, uh, The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage, she says, in modern relationships, people are looking for a partnership, and they want partners who make their lives more interesting. Um, I was reading this novel by Gillian Flynn called Gone Girl, and the main character in the novel has this little rant in her journal where she writes about the cool girl and how guys all want the cool girl, and they have this image, this image of a girl that doesn't really exist. And that's kind of what we do with... Uh, the, the idea in our head of a spouse or, or when we're married, what our spouse should be and isn't living up to. She says, cool girls are above all hot. Hot and understanding. Cool girls never get angry. They only smile in a chagrined, loving manner and let their men do whatever they want. Go ahead, disregard me. I don't mind. I'm the cool girl. And in, in men have the same, some similar kind of version of the same thing. Some imagined thing. It doesn't really exist. And it basically says... Don't get in the way of my pursuits. Don't change me. Passion, un, constant passion, unhindered pursuits. We basically want in marriage, and we, the cultural ideal is, a relationship where you pretty much get to do the same thing and stay unhindered on the same course, unchanged, with the addition of a steamy love life. And not only could I go on and on about how you won't find that, can I get an amen? <laughs> I could go on and on. You know that already. You're not going to find that. I hope you know. But the other thing about it is, even if you could find it, this radical community, this radical gospel that makes you a child of God and you're looking for ways to get rid of the former and get the new would tell you that's not, that's not the picture of a Christian marriage, of a gospel-inspired child of God kind of marriage. 
And what it would be is, it looked like a lot more what's in this text, submission and sacrifice. This is the new way. Submission is a way of life and a way of successful marriage. Notice it starts out, I mean, don't get, don't get on a high horse about saying, women are supposed to submit to men because you notice uh, verse 21, submit to one another, right? So it's right there. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everybody has to do this. And, and then the, the women's part here is brief and nonspecific. Everyone's supposed to submit to one another. That's a part of being a child of God. That's Christ submitted to us and to our spiritual needs and went to the cross for us. So it's brief and it's unspecific. So I would hesitate, as some people get really excited on this point, to make a sort of uh, higher, like, you know, as a spouse, you fit in a hierarchy within your marriage somewhere. I would suggest that that's a, very, uh, that's a very big jump from what's actually happening here. One of the things to note, submission is for everyone. The wife's part is very brief and nonspecific. The husband's part is long and specific. And um, I could go on and on about that. But basically what you get out of this, and what I want to draw out, is just these two words, submit and sacrifice. The husband goes on and on, but the husband is supposed to give of himself in the way Christ Gives himself for the church. Give up everything, all your security, all your needs, all the will that you would have in the way that Christ prays the prayer, not my will, but yours be done. And go take a bullet you know, for your spouse. Let go of all kinds of things. So you get the idea. This is totally different from our culture's view of marriage. 